You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. There are places where, um, where the distance between heaven and earth is narrow, where the supernatural seems very close. And I'm not just talking about a warm, fuzzy, quiet time, you know, or a, or a cool worship time. I'm really talking about a, a place that's more real estate than moment. Uh, the Celtic tradition calls those thin places. You can't create a thin place, but you know it when you've found one. There are places in the world, there's a place in Scotland, the Isles of Iona, that that they say that is a thin place. You can just experience somehow the presence of God in that place. I I, I think there are places in in Jerusalem that are thin places. And there there are probably places in Jerusalem that were supposed to be thin places, but they've been so covered over by uh, tourism and souvenirs that you can't feel it anymore. Um, But there are places in the world that are thin places, and there are places, I I think that there are probably more thin places close to us than we give credit for. I know of one particularly, and this was more moment than real estate, but I've I've told you the story before about when my mom passed away, um, just a few days before she passed away, she and I were there in her room together, and I had my head on on her, kind of leaning over the hospital bed, and my head was on the pillow with hers, and I could feel it. It was like the curtain was right there. There was nothing more than a curtain separating her from the unhindered presence of God, and I could feel it. And you almost had the sense that my mom could see it. The cross is a very thin place. The cross on which Jesus died, that real estate, that hill on which he died, and that moment was a thin place where heaven broke through. And from that moment on, there was, is, no longer a barrier between us and God. We no longer need a priest to make sacrifices for us or to to go into the Holy of Holies on our behalf. We are now welcome to come boldly to the throne of grace, all by ourselves, without shame, to seek forgiveness and acceptance from God, to be found by Him in that place. And because the cross is portable, I think it is one of those rare instances where this this thing that was once on a hill that was real estate, it can now become, the cross can become a moment for us. We can be found in the shadow of the cross. And we can find a thin place there. And so this morning, somehow, and I've got to tell you, I struggle so much with this message because when you start digging deep into the cross, you feel just how shallow your words are. But that somehow this morning I am praying, I am wanting for you to find a thin place at the cross. So will you pray with me? Jesus, that, that is my prayer. My prayer is that you would break through. That somehow this morning, all of us, every single one of us, the ones who know it by heart and the ones who are hearing it <laughs> after years away or for the first time, my, my prayer, God, is that somehow you would break through and that we would experience 
the cross as a thin place. That we would know you there in a way we've never known you before. That we would encounter presence at the cross. Jesus. And I know I can't make that happen. I know my words can't make that happen. I know I can't stir up or whip up that feeling. I'm just asking for it, God. Make this room into a thin place. And that cross that hangs on our wall into a thin place. For the sake of Jesus, for the sake of salvation, for the sake of the kingdom of God, give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you and a heart to receive it in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. So last week we said that the whole message of John could be summarized in one word, and that word, the message of John was believe. And so John walks us through story after story on the nature of Jesus, and he walks us right into this eyewitness encounter with, uh, that, that Thomas has with Jesus, where he makes that ancient confession, my Lord and my God. And John's whole gospel invites the reader to believe that confession and to let that truth that Jesus is both Lord and God stand as a pillar in the middle of my life and yours. And while life slams into that pillar from every possible direction, that truth stands, my Lord and my God, immovable. That was where we were last week. This week, we're in the book of Luke. If the message of John is to believe, then the message of Luke is be found. And in much the same way as John, the whole story of Luke leads up to an eyewitness account and a confession of a very unlikely somebody that Jesus found. I want you to look at his story together in Luke chapter 23, Beginning with verse 44, the best way to engage the message is with your Bible and something to write with. And so if you'll pull it out, get to, to Luke chapter 23. Um, we're going to talk about this little, this is just little six verses, maybe not even six verses. that act sort of like a funnel. This, that's the way this passage feels to me, or like a keyhole. It starts with a wide-angle view of how the world responded, the whole world, the physical world, the created world, responded to salvation. And it narrows down to the perspective of one man, the least likely man standing on that hill with that cross, before it starts to funnel out again. And you begin to see all the other people who were there witnessing what that man witnessed. So we're going to begin with the wide-angle view while I read the three verses uh, in Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 44, I want you to underline all the sensory pieces in the story. Just get, get something to write with and underline all the things that are sensory, all the things you can see and hear and experience in the story. I want you to have a sense of just how, of, of how the whole created order, the stuff we, the natural world responded to the death of Jesus. So Luke 23, 44, it was now about noon. Time is something inside of the natural world. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. 
Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. That is a very physical experience. It points to that theory that the thin place is, is more physical, more real estate than moment. The created world responded to the death of Jesus and made all kinds of statements. The darkness was the judgment of God. The sun stopping, uh, the sun stopping, yeah, signaled the death of a king. The last breath proved the humanity of Jesus, that his body died. And that last breath, that was a signal for tearing in the Jewish tradition. As soon as a person breathes his last, you are duty-bound to rend your clothing. It happens top-down, so you grab the top of your garment and you pull downward and you tear a length based on how close to this person you were. A longer tear for a closer relationship. So a tear from top to bottom, which is how Mark describes it, would be for the worst loss when someone who's at the center of my heart or at the center of society breathes their last. So a Jewish person wouldn't need an explanation for everything that has just happened here. It's obvious. A cry happened. He breathed his last. The curtain was torn. They would get it that that experience was a supernatural act of severe grief. It was the very temple, the physical temple, expressing its grief. The heart of God expressing grief in the tearing. And Matthew's telling of the moment the earth shook, the rocks were split. The treasure in this scene is the word that Matthew uses to describe what happened to the earth when Jesus died. The earth shook. The, physical, uh, the Greek word is seismos. It means a tempest or an earthquake. The only other times this word is used in, in Matthew is when the stone is rolled away at the resurrection and when Jesus calms the storm in the waters. So this moment there at the cross as Jesus breathed his last, there is this seismic event that shook creation itself, a thin place. Humans may not have grasped the power of it, but the rocks felt it. Creation groaned, and the earth shook, and the rocks split. The sun stopped. The curtain was torn. A thin place. Brenning Manning wrote, The ground of all being shook. The source of all life trembled. The heart of all love burst open. And the unfathomable depths of the, un of the relentless tenderness was laid bare. Your Christian life and mine don't make any sense unless in the depth of our beings we believe that Jesus not only knows what hurts us as he hangs there on that cross, but knowing seeks us out, finds us in our poverty, in our pain. His plea to his people is, come now, 
wounded, frightened, angry, lonely, empty, and I'll meet you right where you live, and I'll love you as you are, not as you should be, because you're never going to be as you should be. Come on. Do you really believe this? With all the wrong turns you've made in your past, the mistakes, the moments of selfishness, dishonesty, degraded love, do you really believe Jesus Christ loves you? Not the person next to you, not the church, not the world, but that he loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity, that he loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain without caution, regret, boundary, limit, no matter what's gone down, he can't stop loving you. Brennan says, Manning says, this is the Jesus of the Gospels and this is the Jesus of the cross. earth-shaking, rock-splitting Jesus, curtain-tearing, sun-stopping love. When you let yourself be found in that thin place, you've been found. You're home. So now we've seen the wide-angle view. Let's bring it to the narrowest place in the funnel and that centurion verse tw- uh, 47 Luke 23:47 the centurion seeing what had happened praised God and said underline that the centurion seeing what had happened praised God and said surely this was a righteous man Matthew and Mark uh, remember the wording this way surely this was the son of God When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, I want you to circle the word all. There were a lot of people looking. They beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. So there were lots of witnesses to Luke's story of Jesus' crucifixion. All the gospel writers were there. The Jews were there. Jesus himself was there. Two criminals who hung on either side of him were there, crucified with him. There was Peter. There was the women. People who didn't know him were there to watch. Why are we so interested in other people's suffering? I wonder what it is in human nature that has us rubberneck that way. There were people who were there who did know him, who were there to grieve or to question God to support, maybe. And the women who were there had been following him for a while, women with hearts full, mother hearts, full of grief, standing off to the distance at the edges, feeling helpless. We can assume the angels were there because this was a thin place, friends, that, they're, that, they're, that the worshipers of heaven were there. But the one who gets our attention, the one who Luke wants to point out is the centurion. Of all those people, (laughs) out of all those people, the least likely guy. A centurion is the commander of a hundred men. That centurion was likely commanded to go there and his men were the ones who nailed Jesus to the cross. His job was to supervise the whole thing. 
Can you imagine how hard your heart has to get when that becomes your detail regularly? So it's interesting that God used this most unlikely of candidates to be the first to notice Jesus for who he was. Literally the first man to proclaim Jesus, the crucified Jesus, as a righteous man, according to Luke, as the Son of God, according to Matthew and Mark, the least likely person on that hill to profess the truth of the matter was a Gentile Roman centurion soldier sent to supervise this horrible crucifixion. So whoever it is in your life who you say, I don't think they're ever going to come to Jesus, you need to say, (laughs) or you. He got through to a centurion. And the Bible doesn't give us much more about him, but folklore has filled in the gaps for us. He has a name, according to Catholic folklore, Longinus. The Catholic world, Longinus is a saint. There have been quite a number of pieces of art dedicated to him. Do you see the story really in this, the, the red background behind his cape? That's the story. The story is the man who pierced his side. Longinus is the one who stood in front of the cross to guard these three men who put his sword into the side of Jesus after Jesus had breathed his last. And that guy in in the Catholic world is now considered a saint. The Gospel of Nicodemus, a book in the Catholic Apocrypha, credits him with creating the last of Jesus' five holy wounds. He is the one who pierced his side. Some people say Longinus was the first Christian that he converted to Christ standing there in that thin place watching Jesus die on the cross and that he went out from that thin place and shared the, the gospel of Jesus until he himself was martyred. And that's why in the Catholic Church, Longinus is known as the patron saint of conversions or as the patron saint of missing objects. I love that. Don't you love that? There's a patron saint of missing objects. You need that patron saint in a big way to find your Bible and your journal and all the places you've left it. I know. Spread the word. Saint, that's right. Saint Longinus, please help me find my glasses. All of this is folklore, sketchy history. But I'm telling it because it fits so perfectly with the theme of Luke. Remember the message of Luke? Be found. So here's a man who stood at the foot of the cross, literally, likely the most, the closest to the work of Jesus on the cross as it happened in that thin place. His his eyes, the closest set of eyes. His heart the closest heart. And somewhere in that scene, there was an exchange. Jesus gave up his life for this man, and this man found his life in the shadow of the Almighty. The cross does not promise to make life easier, 
but it does promise to make life real. I remember hearing this in a Bible study once, and for some reason it really stuck with me. The leader said, Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. Jesus died to make dead people live. I remember when I heard it put that way. It put all the pieces together for me, like what Paul said in in Ephesians and Colossians about us being dead because of our sins. And what Peter said about Jesus, that he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and alive to what is righteous. And what Jesus himself said, that in that same place where he talked about being the good shepherd, he said that the thief's purpose was to steal, kill, and destroy, but the Jesus' purpose was to give us a rich and satisfying life. And when, when he said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, I pull together all those pieces, I get it, that the cross is what Jesus came for. There was nothing easy about it. Jesus had to carry it, suffer on it, die on it, but the whole point of it was for him to carry the power of our sins with him when he went. And that's why Jesus submitted to the cross and all its suffering. He did it so that life could become real for us. He did it to make dead people live. The cross doesn't promise to make life easier. The the cross promises to make life real. The centurion also teaches us that on the cross, praise and agony hang together. It's a powerful thing. Luke 23, 47 says the centurion, when he saw it, praised God and said, surely this is a righteous man. This is an odd pairing, isn't it? Praising God while you stand in front of a dying man. Why would you praise God while someone is dying in front of you? The only reason I can think of is that somehow this man encountered what we know. That on that cross was someone who understands our pain, who is not afraid to suffer, not afraid of conflict, who will stretch us to our limits, but only because he longs for us to have the fullness of life. The centurion praised God and said, Surely, surely this is the Son of He was somehow able to see beyond the horror of crucifixion to the glory of eternal life. Praise and agony hang together. And the cross is God for us. If the manger teaches us that God is with us, the cross teaches us that God is for us. It's such a beautiful invitation to believe that God on the cross is God for us. It is an invitation, listen to this, to press into the flesh of Jesus everything that breeds death with the assurance that Jesus will carry those things we give him in a way that doesn't breed shame or loss but breeds freedom and life. I've asked you this question before. I will ask you this question many more times. You need to write it down if you've never written it down before. This question comes to us really from the Old Testament system of 
of sacrifices that we find in Leviticus and that scapegoat. And it runs all the way through into the New Testament. One sacrifice for all time. What things in my life need to be pressed into the death of Jesus? Into the flesh of Jesus? What parts of me have more in common with death than life? What inferior gods and nagging demons, what things that need to die am I dragging around when the best thing I could do for myself is press them into the flesh of the crucifixion? Because this Jesus, whom we crucified, this is Peter's word in his first sermon, Acts chapter 2, this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Messiah. This Jesus whom we crucified has power even while he's on the cross. And this Jesus whom we crucified offers to take our place at the point of death. Because you see, while sin carrying is death for us, it is victory in the flesh of Jesus. Come on, y'all. You're way too quiet for this. Because Christ alone has power over things that breed death in me. The principle of the resurrection says that if I will press the things that breed death into the flesh of the crucified Jesus, then when he is resurrected, when he stands up again, I can stand up again too. Come on. I can be resurrected too. Even if I found myself in a valley again, spiritually poor again, stuck again, idolizing again, going around the same tired mountain, come on, again. Anybody else in here living the tyranny of the again life? Living that insanity of doing the same insane things over and over and over again, like with some kind of ridiculous amnesia. Looking for a spiritual fix, sorry, looking for a physical fix to a spiritual problem. And the word says that even if I am there again, the crucifixion invites me to press my tired dead again into the flesh of Jesus so I can stand up again inside the resurrection of Jesus. It's great news, friends. The cross is an invitation to believe that God on the cross is God for us. Surely, this is a righteous man. This is the Son of God. This is a thin place. And in that thin place, the soldier responsible for putting him there could see it. It means maybe I need to spend a little more time. If I don't see it, maybe I need to spend a little more time at the foot of the cross. Because I would hate for the rocks to cry out, for the sun to stop, for everything in creation 
to exclaim what I cannot see. The cross is the safest place on earth. It's a thin place. When I was little, uh, there were a million kids in my neighborhood. And we often had a pickup game of freeze tag. Anybody else do that in your neighborhood? Freeze tag? We almost always played in the neighbor's yard because they had a big tree right in the center of the yard, and that was base. Did you have one of those in your neighborhood? A tree or a rock or something that was base? That place where as long as you were touching it, you were safe? When you're on base, they can't come after you. You can rest there in the shadow of the Almighty when you're on base, when you've been running hard. And even if the guy who's it runs faster than you or is bigger than you, as long as you've got one finger touching home base, there is not one thing he can do about it. When I was a little girl, Daryl Hicks was it one day. If you know Daryl Hicks, please let him know that my collarbone has since healed. It's the only bone I ever broke. I was up at the top of the yard, and he, was, and he had me pinned, and just then my neighbor's other child came home from music lessons and saw me up there and decided she was going to rescue me. So she snuck up behind Daryl, zoomed past him, grabbed me by the arm. I weighed about 20 pounds at the time, and pulled me all the way down the yard as hard as she could, as fast as she could, and slammed me, skull first, into base. Still safe. Doesn't matter if it's your skull, you're still safe. Daryl did not like that, and so Daryl sat on me, broke my collarbone. But I was safe. <laughs> and that'll preach. Because some, some of you have been slammed into the cross in just that way, <laughs> right? <laughs> banged up but safe the cross is not the enemy it might, it might acknowledge your sin it might tell you what you don't want to hear about yourself but the cross is not your enemy do you hear me the cross is not your enemy it is the goal it's Jesus' reason for being there at all. That cross was base for him and for us. When he took hold of it, he was safe. And as long as he was hanging on that cross, even if he was being slammed into with every possible sin that humans were able to imagine, and you are some imaginative people, he was safe. Not a thing the enemy could do to us while Jesus is hanging on that cross. Just as surely as that cross was made for Jesus, Jesus was made for that cross. The cross is not the enemy. It is our friend. For those who believe, it is the power of salvation. It is base for us, home, and the world can come after us. The world can sit flat on top of us. But as long as we are hanging on to the cross, there is not a thing they can do to us. Come on, people. We are safe here. 
because Jesus died there. Jesus is at the cross. And the cross is where we're found. And we want to say, ah, it was my sin that put, me, that put him there. And it's true, if sin is the point of the cross, it should have been me up there, not Jesus. Because brothers and sisters, I have a master's degree in sinning. I know how to sin. So if sin is the point, I should have died because I have proven just how good I am at sinning. Anybody else here? Is that an amen all by myself? I'm pretty sure I'm good at this. But that's not the point of the cross. It isn't our sin that put, us, put him there. Manning told us it is God's love that put him there. Come on. God's love caused him to take on flesh and blood. God's love caused him to step up and give his life for yours. God's love went after the keys of hell and death, and God's love found us. Be found. And I get it. A cross without an empty tomb is just another criminal or crazy person dying a sad death. The empty tomb finishes the story that the cross begins. We're not done till we get to the empty tomb. But friends, we don't want to run too quickly past the cross on our way to the empty tomb. The cross deserves our time and respect. It is a thin place where earth and heaven collide, where salvation is sealed, where missing things get found. Confession of the most unlikely man on that hill. The eyewitness confession of the most unlikely man on that hill testifies to this truth. Surely this was a righteous man. Surely this was the Son of God. Praise God. Praise God. I don't know if... Longinus was really his name, or if he really is the patron saint of missing objects and people who need conversions. I'm skeptical about that one, but I am moved by his historic moment in that thin place, by what it evoked in him that his story was born out of this very real experience at the foot of the cross which means I can have a very real experience at the foot of the cross, too. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.